Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network, brought to you by ZipRecruiter. You know what's really hard? Hiring people. I've been in that situation two times in my life. It's really hard. There's some real skill that you need, and even then it might not always work out right. Well, guess what? That's why ZipRecruiter exists. They have powerful matching technology. They scan thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invite them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter, so effective, four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. Right now, my listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Meanwhile, we've all made some bad choices in life. I know I have. I know Ryan Rossillo has. Remember he was on here talking about his worst year ever, 2002. Now he walks around, everybody comes up to him, gives him their worst years ever. I love that. We've all had bad years. We've all made bad decisions. It's not about us. It's about you. Don't make where you play fantasy football a bad life decision. Play Yahoo Fantasy Football. Yahoo offers up free expert advice, best player experience. They'll never delete your league history like some of the other apps. Yahoo also has all kinds of fantasy games like the new best ball. Draft, you're done. No trades, no waivers, no drama all season. I like that idea. Yahoo is the number one rated app by the FSGA. Make better choices. Choose Yahoo Fantasy Football. Pearl Jam. Mm. So I've had a podcast since 2007. Really? And I've known you since 2002. Right. And we've never done a podcast, which I saw you in Las Vegas this summer. And you mentioned that to me. And I said, I've never asked you to come on because it seems like everyone wants you to come on a podcast. And I get, I would imagine, you know, every comedian and they're probably like, we come on a podcast. Yeah, and I, mean, I just didn't want to put you in the position. That's why I never asked you. That is cool. But now you're here because yeah. I, I got a feeling you were like, I'm kind of mad. I haven't been on your podcast. No, that, I got a that slight was, vibe That from was you. a feeling that you manifested. I made it up. <laughs> no, well, you did a very clever thing. You go, oh, you don't do podcasts? I go, no, I do. I'm just on a mandatory hiatus from them because I keep getting in trouble. And then, and then you go. I wasn't asking you on my podcast. They go, oh, I, I wasn't asked. I didn't think that you were. And then you were like, why would you do you do it or not? This isn't what happened. You're making the, this is this okay. is your version of this. Okay, what's your? I felt your hurt in your eyes that I never asked you. That's what I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I saw in your pupils deep down. You were like, why hasn't he asked me? What's wrong with me? What's, why can't we? You why know, couldn't we have done that's this? Such a great way to live life. Bill. Was he, that was what happened. <laughs> that is. So, that's what I told I think myself. That's really after. healthy, actually. Yeah. Like it's really. That's a good way to like see is that oh god everyone wants to do my podcast yeah. and, and you need to have that attitude because honestly the the I don't ha have a podcast because I would rather die than ask people to be on my podcast. Just the shame of soliciting guests too I just, much for I you. I hate putting people in that position. I hate being put in that position. I hate those emails. I, I, it's, I, I can't, you know, even I wrote a book years ago and I, they were so mad at me because I would not ask anyone for blurbs. Oh, right. So, yeah. I get that. I made, I made up fake 
blurbs. <laughs> you did. Yeah. That book did well. People like that book. Yeah, considering like, it was like nine years News ago? won't carry it or anything. Is that true? <laughs> I've never seen it at an airport. Mm. All right. So now you're here. We've known each other. I was debating whether to work for for Jimmy. And mm-hmm. I met you when I was here. I he flew, flew with my you wife. out here. He, did he, he did. Fl- he flew me and my he wife to, to LA to, to see woo it. you. To see, to see LA. And it worked. It was I was like, thinking about that it was as 80 I was degrees. getting ready today. Yeah, it was 80 degrees both days. And I was like, wow, it'd be great to live here. He's and like, that was I'm it. get the sports guy from Boston. Yeah. He picked me up in a Wagoneer. He had this Wagoneer. Mm-hmm. And that was it. So I've known you since. But then... Um, it's been a pleasure to watch your career and all the good things that have happened. Thanks. I've enjoyed Joe, it. Likewise. You were doing well when I met you. I knew, you know, you you had done some stuff. Yeah. You were well known. Yeah. But then, you know, as I as after we met, things started happening and things kept happening. And, and now it's we're at the end of the second decade. It's all here. because we met. Do you think it, that was it? I no, mean, I'm not saying credit for that one. You think that's a coincidence that I met you and then my career skyrocketed slowly I think it was a coincidence. I think it was a coincidence. (laughs) I remember seeing you. I used to love SNL. I still, I don't love it as much as I did, but I used to love it. And then you popped up one day and you were young and you were female. And it was like, who's this? How did, this isn't the normal type of person who's on SNL. You did like a weekend update. (laughs) It was like like a wedding or a bar mitzvah or it was was some story, right? Oh yeah. It was, it was like like the news of the week, but it was like my news of the week. And then, you know, my sister got married and they're hyphenating it. Susan (laughs) Silverman Abramowitz. We're going to shorten it to just Jews. That was when they used weekend update to kind of. Introduce. Yeah. Sneak people in and kind of test them out because they didn't want to put them in sketches for some reason, but you were writing too. Yeah. I was a writer slash feature performer. And I lasted a whole season. They must regret that, though. No. I think that they did the right thing. <laughs> really? Why? I mean, I don't know. I, I, I've, I saved those, the sketches that I wrote, and they're terrible. <laughs> did you think they were good when you were handing them in? Yes, or was it like a rational confidence? Well, yeah, I thought that they were good. Did you like the whole vibe? It was of- so earnest. Ernest. Yeah. Did you like the whole vibe of everybody crammed into all these different offices and Yeah. I mean I it, it was seems like it's so in your real house. scary, but it was um it was really cool, you know. I've always like in high school and this and you know, like I always kind of stay at the periphery where it's like no one has a problem with me and I get along with everybody. I don't want any trouble. Right. <laughs> But you you get along with you get along with guys. You've been able to I get along work with your guys, way. get along with girls. No, but you've been able to work your way into that whole like the guys being guys scene. You've been able to fit in with that and bust balls in a unique way, I feel like. I've seen it. Yeah, but that's just me. That's a, that's also how a woman can be. <laughs> like I'm I'm, with you. I'm female. And that, and it's just, I wasn't doing something special to fit in with guys. I didn't say it was special. But it's, it, it sounds, it sounds like it's some accomplishment to be able to. I think it was in the mid nineties for guys. SNL. Wasn't it like a big boys culture Yeah, because though? it was, the world is men. The world is white men. So it's like, you know, I, I, I see any woman 
doesn't just see the world through the lens of a woman. She sees the world through the lens of a, of a, the, a man because that's the world we have to live in. Yeah. Less and less so, you know, in a nice way. But the but show changed the next decade. The next year it started to, you know, once yeah. they, they hired, you know, Tina Fey and Molly Shannon and um, Sherry O'Terry. I mean, remember watching that first episode and just going like, oh my God, these are stars. I remember the Will Ferrell episode was like immediately like, who's that guy? That guy's yeah. going to be famous. Who's yeah. doing Get Off the Shed, all that stuff. Yeah, it flipped. I remember, I don't remember if it was the season you were there. Or you were there maybe the season before, but New York Magazine had that big piece. Well, they every other year it's Saturday Night Saturday Dead. Night's Dead. Yeah. But it was a big part of that piece was like the boys culture and the the kind of the bro stuff and the show's heading down this path where it's not a sketch comedy show anymore. It's like. A lot of these, you know, monologues or like big people trying to play these recurring characters, all that stuff. And then when the Will Ferrell season happened, all of a sudden it was like, oh, it's a sketch comedy again. And real yeah, actors. Yeah, it was very like personality driven for a while and everything. But it was. That's, that's, that's why Saturday Night Live is still so relevant. It's constantly changing with the times. It's yeah. constantly like a reflection of where we're at, you know. Yeah, it's been interesting to see how it tries to reflect the times now in the in the late two thousand tens because you know they finally had to start changing the cast and making the cast way more but diverse, which yeah they had a lot of trouble with for a long time there. But pop culture has become so much more diverse to not have a cast that reflects that. I think it took them a while. Yeah, but. well, you have to like art has to reflect life, but sometimes like. Art has to show life what it can be. Yeah. You know, I mean, God, I hate to use Bill Cosby as an example, but like the Cosby show was like um, hugely that, you know, of like just seeing this, you know. I love that show. Yeah. I mean, it was so huge for like this, this girl in New Hampshire, you know, it was like. How do you feel about canceled culture where we have these things from the I, past and then we're not allowed to kind of enjoy them anymore? Um, you know, I think it's really scary and it's, it's like a, it's a very odd thing that's invaded the left primarily. And then the right will mimic it in, in it, you know, kind of like, oh, this isn't okay. Then we're going to say we're offended by this. But yeah, I see it on the left, like this cancel culture that to, I call it righteousness porn. Yeah. You know, where it's like, if you're not on board, if you say the wrong thing, if you had a tweet once, if you would ever, you know, everyone is like throwing the first stone, you know, whatever, you know, it's so odd. And it's, it's really, it's a perversion. I see it as a perversion, really. You know what I mean? It's, it's really, you know, it's, um, Look how righteous I am, and now I'm gonna press refresh all day long to see how many likes I get in my righteousness. And the the thing that breaks my heart is, ideally, and I keep myself. I try to, you know, listen. I'm not saying that I'm immune to that. Yeah, I don't like liars, but I do have compassion to for the, like the lied twos. Yeah, and. You know, like on my old show, I had Christian Picciolini, who's um, was a a Nazi and a, a skinhead, bashed fucking people's brains in for being 
black or Jewish or whatever. Like he found a home. He found love in this hate group, which is why people join hate groups. And he's changed in the, you know, the past 30 years he's been working, getting people out of hate groups, but someone had to see the possibility of change in him. You know, he said, I asked for advice. He said, find someone who does not deserve your compassion and give it to them anyway, because that's what happened to me. So all the time I think, is this a, a before Christian, Oh, you know, like, is this just a Christian Picciolini in the making, you know, and, and not to have some, but I just feel like as I draw lines in the sand and I wish for other people on the left to do this too, you have to ask yourself, would I want this person to be changed or do I secretly want them to stay what I deem as wrong so I can point to them as fucked up in myself as right, you know? Yeah, it's you're gross. talking about performance art. That's what the the outrage culture, where <laughs> well, you just discuss where it's like, it becomes a performance to some degree to be outraged by whatever you're being outraged by, and then the next thing there's you move so on to the much next to thing. genuinely be outraged by. But are, you have to say like, is what is the action I'm taking here creating change or creating further division? I don't know, but you know, it's or like further, case by like case. Some people anger. just need to be called fucking. What do, you th I, what do you think of the culture of the people going backwards? It happens with comedians. It happens <clears throat> with writers. And like, you, oh, this mean? person, <clears throat> they did this bit in 2001, and then it all of a sudden becomes a story. Or they wrote this piece in 2004. Meanwhile, it was like 15 oh years ago. God. Why are we I mean, going backwards? That's terrifying. I mean, look, I I had this this last show, I Love You, America. I did a whole episode about it. But like- on my show, the Sarah Silverman program, which I loved, there's so much problematic from that show. Whole, yeah. I mean, it's brutal. And then there's a whole episode of, where I'm in blackface. We shot it in South Central. It's an episode about race yeah. played by a character, my character, which is like a ignorant, arrogant, you know, woman trapped in a, what I wouldn't know how to call it then, but a liberal bubble, you know, yeah. just like, I believe there's racism. I'm going to show that there's racism, you know, or like that this episode was, um, Alex Desaire and I swap. So he's Jewish and I'm black for the day. And I'm, and we're both the most racist version of that. Anyway, there's if so that much came I up, could say, but, um, yeah, but that was like Tropic Thunder, same thing where it was. The joke was the Robert Downey Jr. character was trying to win the Oscar, but now I'm not sure that movie comes out in 2018. Yeah. I think I mean, somebody even jumps just in front of it. the full retard line or well, whatever. Well, a bunch yeah. of stuff. A lot but of those comedies from that, that decade. That there, you have to, it's okay to go, wow, look at this back then. That was so fucked up looking at it in the light of today of what we know. But to hold that person accountable if they've changed with the times, like for me, I'm not saying like, don't hold me accountable. I hold... I held myself accountable. I can't make that. I can't erase that I did that. Yeah. But I can only be changed forever and do what I can to make it right forever for the rest of my life, you know. But to be, to not acknowledge that comedy is evergreen. <laughs> and I mean, I've always said that, like, if I look back on my old stuff and don't cringe, there's something wrong, you know. Because if you're putting yourself out there, it's it's not going to be timeless. It's just not. I mean, so. I always feel like it reflects whatever was going on at the time. 
So I feel like, you know, obviously I've written a shitload of columns and I would take back a bunch of jokes, a bunch of things I did, a bunch of ideas just in general. I'm just like, oh man, that, I wish I had, you know, same way you would with a, with, with some of the comedy you've done where you're like, God, that, that joke. Oh I, my God. I would have, so I could have had such a better joke there. That, that but that's was... the thing. It's, that's part of what is growing as like an artist or whoever, where it's like, yeah, all right. I wouldn't do that now, but back then it, that joke seemed like it was super funny and it made, it reflects more what was happening in whatever year you're in. I and think. also there was just so much I didn't know. Right. I knew there was racism. I knew that there was, I wanted to illuminate that in some way in comedy, but I didn't know. I didn't know that cops were killing black people, <laughs> black right. te- unarmed black teenagers, like on the regular, you yeah. know, and that, changed me forever you know i mean it's just whatever it's you know i recently was gonna do a movie two days on a movie a really a sweet part and a cool little movie and then at 11 p.m the night before they fired me because they saw that pi- a picture of me in blackface from that episode really and you know i i i was just, you know, I didn't fight it. I just, I said, you know, hey, I, I actually addressed this recent, you know, a year, last year in an episode of my show. And um, yeah. it wasn't because anyone saw it. I exposed myself, you know, but listen, I'm not that person anymore, but I was doing it. You know, I didn't go to a a fucking Halloween party in the 80s in blackface. I was doing an episode about race. Yeah. You know, now I understand it's never okay and blah, 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 you know, not to blah, blah, blah it, but, you know, but it's just, you know, so they hired someone else who's wonderful, but who's never stuck her neck out. You know what I mean? Like, it's just very, it it's, was so disheartening. It was just, um, just made me real, real, real sad because, you know, I've really kind of devoted my life to, to making it right, you know? Well, you also... Especially the first, like, I don't know, 10, 12 years of your career, like part of your comedy was going Race. toward the third rail. Yeah. And I was like, what What makes people uncomfortable? That's where I want to go. Well, I, yeah, I always, I, you know, I, well, the first whole part of my stand-up through Jesus is Magic and like kind of into the Sarah Summer program was I said the opposite of what I really felt, you know, and, and yeah. the hope is that the absolute power transcends if you're a math nerd, but like, you know, so, you know, that was like, I was in character, you know, I, I'm, I am going to get fucking killed. Like it, I, in, in Jesus's magic, I say some line and the far right has made a meme of it as if I said it in a press conference, which is, right. uh, I'm glad the Jews killed Jesus. I'd do it again, you know, something like that. And they wrote it as if I said it in a political speech. And then people really, you know, I whatever, it's, it's fucking sucks, you know, but um, well, I th- it's but not I, like I can stop. But like- But I think comedy's in a dangerous place right now. Yeah, because- it's in a real day. There's a-, a um, a pastor online in Florida who said anyone who kills Sarah Silverman is doing God's work and that he hopes that someone knocks my teeth out and kills me. And if they do, it will be God's work. Jesus. When was that? Like 
Like a year ago? Oh, my God. Yeah. Steadfast Church in Florida. You know, it's just like that's telling people to fucking murder me right. from that meme. Like he quoted that meme that was me in character in his comedy special. It's it's like this manipulation of what can be true. You know? It's, it's funny, like, like, so comedy as it unfolded 70s, 80s, 90s, there's a bunch of different ways to do it. And one of the ways was something you love to do, which was make people uncomfortable, push the envelope, do that material. People are like, whoa, I can't believe she's going there. But then you pull it off. And that's the stuff that I'm not sure we're going to see as much of anymore. Unless it's somebody like I saw the two Chappelle specials where he just says, give mm -hmm. a fuck. And yeah. he's like, I don't care if you get mad at this. Here's my comedy. But I for, do think it will go back. It will put it, this will create that again. Well, think about what we a always heard about comedy. the 60s with Lanny Bruce and all those people who then became idolized. Decades later, it's like those guys, he had the seven dirty words. They were taking him in handcuffs off the stage. And he was, and now it's, you know, I just think comedy is important. And once we start litigating it and you, you have a jury for every joke and every routine versus like allowing people to push the line. And if they cross the line a little bit, you know, it's okay. Doesn't, doesn't mean that they, they should be vilified. Cause how do you know where the lines are? You do comedy. I remember when you were dating Jimmy, we would just be hanging out at his house and you'd be like, all right, I'll, I'll be back in a little bit. And I'm like, where's she going? She's going to do like 10 minutes at the comedy yeah. store. And then you would just come back and you're just like, you would have been hanging out. And then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm going to go do my job for 10 minutes. And you would go work out whatever routine you had in your head. Then you would just be back like 45 minutes later. If people aren't allowed to work out material, and find out where those lines are, then I really wonder what's going to happen to comedy. That's why I stopped going to the um, Laugh Factory because every time a comic got in trouble because like they're working out material and they say something fucked up or whatever and someone records it. Yeah. It's always there. And then the owner's on the news like talking about it. It's like, why don't you just take people's phones or make a rule? You know what I mean? They, it's not very protective. of. Nobody should have a phone at a comedy club. I didn't find it was protective of comedians. You yeah. Know? Like at the Comedy Cellar in New York, I was so impressed by this. They have a three drink maximum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They'd be bad for Kyle. And it's just like, that's so, they could make so much more money if they don't have a three drink maximum, but they care about the comics. Well, are you conscious of that now when you're working out stuff of somebody recording it? Um, I don't like when I see it, you know, it's just so annoying because I just, what are you going to watch your shitty grainy yeah. recording of it's this? Dark. Like, it's like people who take pictures of, uh, of fireworks. Like, you gonna look at this later and remember this day? Why don't you just Google images it? The whole thing is like having stuff. the experience, right. taking pictures of fireworks. Fucking idiot. <laughs> like there's nothing dumber to me. How many years have you been doing comedy now? Like talking a like since you lot. were like a teenager? I started when I was 17. So when do you get tired of that 10 minutes of going out there with a routine that's well, usually like, about 20 minutes now. Or 20 <laughs> minutes, whatever. In, in town, yeah. 20 minutes. But it, when do you get tired of 
that kind of pit in your stomach or whatever feeling you have when you go out there and you're like, I'm going to test stuff with these complete strangers. Like how I many did it last night? I'm always, I was. So you, I was, it's just in you for the rest of your life. Yeah. And unless like, I do don't need want it? to anymore. Is it like playing basketball where you need to do it? You don't yeah, feel right unless exactly you're doing right. it. Yeah. My two favorite things. Yeah. You're still playing. Yeah. I play on Sundays and Thursdays when I can. Full court. Yeah. Full court. Sweating around. Is your yeah. game? What, what have I'm, you added? I'm, I've, I'm. I would say I'm the worst. But what have you I added to your game? What do you mean? Well, it's just as, as people get older, they add things to their basketball game. Like do you added, like yeah, a corner three. I do have. You know, look. <laughs> when I was playing Sunday, I go. I'm because the past couple of years I've really been focusing on my inside game. Mm. But I think it's just because it's terrifying to me. Yeah. You know, but you've got to always be going down the, you know, picking the lane and like going down inside if someone has the ball outside and it's the right thing to do and be ready to- Creating space. Yeah. yeah. And um, I really, you know, I I get scared doing it uh, sometimes because sometimes the guys, they throw the pass like a bullet, you know, because it's like not their problem to get it and put it in the basket. They just like, boom. And it's scary, but- um. You know, I'm obviously not that scared, but listen, Bill, my face is my fortune. And yeah. my inside Protect game is just like, is it worth it? I don't know. But sometimes I think just because with all the news and everything, I need to sweat and I need like full body contact. Like I I think there's like something about mild injuries that just feels like just feels something. I feel something. <laughs> you know, like the move when you get older with pickup basketball is just don't get the outside shot. Don't get elbowed. Don't get elbowed yeah. in your face. That's like the number one goal. Don't get hit. Don't get tripped. Don't. And the worst is my eyesight's deteriorated so badly. So you need LASIK. I I'm not thing. a candidate for it. You have bad eyesight. Yeah, I can't see. Oh, I can't either. I'm like, not a candidate either. You look so handsome right now. All oh, I thank see you, is like I'm your blurry. silver hair and your blue eyes and like some stubble. <laughs> thank you. Um, I have the same thing. I'm not a candidate. I have like minus, yeah, not a minus candidate. 10 contacts. You know when I'll have perfect vision? When I have cataracts because it's like my dad had cataract surgery and now he doesn't need glasses for the first time ever. Like he just has perfect vision. Can we go back to the comedy thing for a second? All so right. you're preparing this material. How has your process changed now that we're we're so electronically trapped to our phones and our computers and all that stuff? Are you still like grabbing a notebook and going to no? Wherever? Everything's in my phone. Most yeah, every so all type, my notes are in my phone. You type the stuff on the phone. Well, no, I have. I'll show you. I've like I've got. I just keep notes of all kinds. Every I think everybody does. Right? Oh yeah, I do that too. Yeah, but in the in twenty five years like, ago, like seven hundred of these, and then. So she just when showed me a, stage, a note thing. <laughs> right. And then I, when I go on stage, I have like. Oh, you have a little like beautiful mind card with all these different things. <laughs> I don't know. Jesus. Russell Crowe. I just have like this, you know, right now I'm living off of these. Who, when you were like, uh, when you wanted to do this, who were the influences? Because you're in New Hampshire, which isn't exactly like the comedy mecca. Well, my mom had like a Woody Allen double album and uh, where he's just like in a, it sounds like he's in a small bar. You know, it, it doesn't seem, you know, there's an intimacy here. You hear yeah. the drinks clinking and, you know, I don't know. I, we listened to that a lot. I was worshiped Steve Martin. 
and I had all his albums. I loved, you know, I was uh, grew up in the 80s. I loved Robin Williams. Like I had a tape of Robin Williams at the Met, you know. Um, so, so did I, you did you take different things from different people? Because that's like what I did as a writer. I had like seven writers I like. And you grab like one piece from each person. I don't know who I was like. I, uh, I loved Joan Rivers, but I mean, I wouldn't say I was like her. And I liked, uh, I loved um, Albert Brooks, like his films, yeah. his short films and stuff. Letterman? Oh, every night. I mean, I, I was in love with him. Yeah. You know, Me I too. Would, I don't want to like take over like Jimmy's love of him is the thing. No, but, Jimmy's, he's still But yeah, world. yeah. I mean, yeah, that was our age group. I mean, he was just like everything. You yeah. You know, the like, the Alka-Seltzer tank, the velcro suit like yeah it was a thing it was also like there were less channels three and, and then four yeah and then i had cable so I and then of course there was channel 38 channel 56 yeah oh yeah yeah you had like LBI. nine local channels and uh durham channel 11 yeah so that didn't you grow up in boston i did yeah yeah we had it was 27 bell 27 38 56 yeah yeah we were probably watching the same shows because 56 had the uh, the Brady Bunch Partridge family. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> Just like when you know someone's from Boston. Uh, years ago when we're all like trying to like come out here for pilot season and, you know, like and uh, and, you know, Mark Marin will be the first one to tell you he was like riddled with jealousy. You know, yeah. he was that guy, you know, <laughs> and uh I didn't do a lot of things just to be a dick, but I remember talking to him and going like, I, can you believe who Dana Hersey got a pilot for NBC or whatever? I just knew because that name from the movie lot. Oh, you Dana knew Hersey. you knew he would get that? Yeah. And he was like, what? <laughs> Let's talk about Luminary, the new podcast subscription service with some of the best content around. I'm excited because you can listen to the rewatchables 1999 there. We are in hiatus right now. We did 10. Got some more coming in the fall. But right now, we have our new podcast, Break Stuff, the story of Woodstock 1999. It's a podcast you will not want to miss if you like music, if you like nostalgia, if you like finding out how 19 different things can go wrong with a music festival. Check it out. Luminary gives you access to a bunch of other original shows from innovative, dynamic creators you can't find anywhere else, like Hannibal Burris's Handsome Rambler or Wisdom from the Top with Guy Ross. The Luminary app, free to download. And in addition to the Can't Miss Originals, you can use it to listen to thousands of podcasts, including this one. Yeah, right here, the BS Podcast. Check out Woodstock 99 and so much more only on Luminary. Get your first two months of access to Luminary's premium content for free when you sign up at luminary.link slash Simmons. After that, it's only $7.99 per month. Luminary.link slash Simmons. Two months, free access. Luminary.link slash Simmons. Cancel anytime. Terms do apply. So when did you move out here? 95. After SNL? Yeah. For Sanders? For, for uh, I came out here to first to do um, Comic Strip Live. Like it was a stand-up show on Fox. I and and um, Evening at the Improv. And I ended up going to a party for Jon Stewart's MTV talk show. Yeah. Leather jacket, Jon Stewart. Yes, yes. And I met this fucking cool girl who was like smoking cigarettes and had like a cool hat and she was just like I don't know I immediately was like whoa who's this girl and she was like 
hey, my roommate's moving up. If you want her room? And I was like, okay. <laughs> I went back to New York, got my stuff, and moved in with and her. That was Tra- it? Yeah, Tracy Katsky. What part of Hollywood was it? West Hollywood. Oh. On Larab- uh, Palm, between Palm and Larrabee. And a- so then you started hitting the comedy clubs. Well, I was I was living in New York City. Yeah, but I mean That's in right. LA, you start doing the scene. Yeah, and like the alt, you know, it was when Largo, you know, started and Uncabaret, which I was like peripheral in only, and the Improv, and the Laugh Factory. That was when I wrote my book. Uh, you know, I would Dave Rath lived up the hill from the Laugh yeah. Factory. And I said, you know, come down. I'm going to be at the Laugh Factory. We're good friends. And he had a goatee and he came down and he gave me a kiss on the lips. Like, hi. His goatee was, I was just like, were you just going down on somebody? Oh, no. He goes, yeah. I, oh, like he thought he was like, I was magic that I would know. I go, wash your face. Oh my God. Like, I literally, his goatee put a goatee of vagina on my face. <laughs> And then you hired him as your manager. No, he oh, okay. never was my manager. Oh, he never was? No. He did. I, we worked together at Jimmy Show, me and Dave Rath. I never knew that story. Oh, I probably really? would have looked at him It's differently. a chapter, in, not that you would, I mean, but in my book, it's like, a chapter called Pussy Face. I read that. And ever since his uh, nephews call him Uncle Pussy Face. <laughs> <laughs> I read that book nine years ago, and I think I blocked that part out of my mind. Yeah, no, me too. That's, I didn't want to look at Dave Rath that way. Because, I mean, he, it's a very prominent facial hair thing. Or yeah. I don't know if he still has it. So following from afar, because I'm living in Boston, you were on SNL mm-hmm. and then you weren't on SNL. Right. And I was like, there's no internet at that point. You might as well have been like kidnapped by aliens. I didn't know what happened. <laughs> and then you popped on Sanders, my favorite show. Yeah. And I was like, oh hey, Sanders. Crazy. And then you did how many? You you popped on like what, five, six times? No, three episodes. One full episode that revolved around you. You were only on two other times? One like a A story. One was like a B story. And one was like I was just kind of in the writer's room. And, and then you became friends with them? No, no. I I became friends with them before that. Dave Rath, the Pussy glue face. of all things. Pussy face brought me to the basketball game in 95 at Gary's. And I played every were Sunday Were you like the first until- woman ever to cross the... Cross the line. You're like the Jackie Robinson of that game. Yeah, maybe. But then I played every Sunday, um, depending on various boyfriends I had or whatever, like at the time, but pretty much for the next 21 years. Was he a mentor? Massively. Yeah. Oh, my God. (sighs) Um, We all miss him so much. He, He was just the most generous... He'd read your script. He'd get. He'll, he gave you advice. He gave you. He he wanted us to learn from what he had to learn the hard way. He like served to us on a silver platter. I spent. I went to a boxing match with him, and I spent a whole night with him, mm-hmm. with Pete Berg and a couple other people. And right. I never really hung out with him. And he he's just like I've never just never met anybody like that guy. Cause he was like immediately a life talk. Yeah. You know, you met him five minutes ago and then he would just kind of fixate on you. And then just, he was just really curious 
Yeah. It was like you were doing a podcast, but nobody was taping it. <laughs> yeah. And then it would just go for hours. And he and then he was so um I I don't know, like his confidence level was not nearly as high as I would have thought it would have been for somebody who had created like the greatest comedy probably in cable history. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a lot of like, do you think I should do that? Like, you know, it was it was exactly kind of what I imagined in my head he would be like, but he was actually like that. Yeah. So he was good. I used, that show, uh, I, it's funny. It's, people say Sopranos was the show that kind of got HBO going, but I always felt like it was Sanders. Of course. And then, then Sex in the City comes, then Oz, then The Sopranos is kind of well, the, the culmination. Wing, didn't Aaron Sorkin said he got the long hallway shots for The West Wing he stole from Larry Sanders? Isn't that, didn't he says that? Yeah. I'm not surprised. So what happened late 90s? You're just doing comedy, trying to break into movies? I don't think <laughs> I, I know I never, this story. Like, I never, um, what were we trying to I do? I never had a plan. Never had a, I never thought that way. I never go like, I'm going to try to do this. I I, I know I, sh- I feel weird saying that because in your 20s. I feel like people are so goal oriented, but I, I've yeah. never been goal oriented. <laughs> Just kind of work on stuff or. What do you remember from the first year of Jimmy's show? Uh, it was so exciting. Um, I don't know. Let's see. It was, well, he had the bar, you know. That, that didn't last long. It's so funny. Like all the things, all the ways you want to break convention, he had to learn little, you know, bit by bit that there's a reason for those conventions. Yeah. You know. That was kind of the legacy of that first like, season. Like, oh, I'm not going to wear a tie and people are going to drink and I'm not going to. Uh, do a monologue and, you know, I'm going to stand, be behind the desk or whatever. And all those things are perfectly make total sense. But for some reason, there was, there is a reason for those conventions, you know? I mean, Seth Meyers, it works behind us because the audience already knows him. But remember he. Being behind a desk. He, that was the big tweak. Right. But it, it's because they already knew him from behind a desk. So to see his legs, like seeing Kermit's legs. Yeah. But, um, but, it, and to that effect, like if he's, if Jimmy stuck with those things, they would probably become convention, you know what I mean? But there's like the panic of probably executives saying like, it's not working the numbers. And the truth is like talk shows need, and you know, it was so great cause it was Lloyd Braun yeah. who, when he hired him, you know, first of all, he had the vision of seeing this in Jimmy. You right. know, and he also said, you're going to suck the first year, which he didn't. But you know what I mean? Like he said, this is I'm making a commitment for three years because that's how long it takes. You need those ad bats. And there are very few executives who understand that. I feel like I, I'm, I'm I can't stand the sound of my voice. Right. How does a woman talk like this? Hi, this is my voice. Now you sound like Theranos lady. Hi. Oh. We I was have a way fairness. to make blood. <laughs> you see that the documentary? Yeah. It's such a fascinating story, but I was like, this documentary should be better. Why are they using like old timey footage? What is this? The fucking Brian Ben Ben show? It seemed pretty stiff. You yeah. know, you're talking about Jimmy show. I remember they had a focus we had a focus group. <laughs> really? And it was like, we've, here are our results. We're going to come in and explain two results. And we were all in the room. And everything they mentioned was like a thing that made the show different. They were like, so we got to get rid of that. The, the focus groups, they don't like the co-host. 
They don't understand. Oh God! Why there's a co-host? Weekly co-host. They don't understand why Jimmy doesn't wear a tie. Um, and it just they went through, and it was like seven of the nine things that when he was creating the show, he's like, so this will make the show different. It's so and, absurd to go like they don't understand why he doesn't wear a tie. It's such yeah. a weird thing. Because well, like, he's not wearing a tie. But the thing with the focus group that they were pretty admin about is like it's 11 45 12 it was 12 o'clock at night it's like 12 o'clock at night they're half asleep they just want something comfortable well that's as exactly they're falling right. asleep they, they want to see they're know, not they don't I want watch chaos. law and order every night even though i've seen it each episode 12 times it's like i don't want a surprise to fall asleep too i want the opposite of that. yeah they don't want <laughs> chaos they yeah. don't want like you know, Sal lighting Jeff Ross's car on fire at 1230. So it was just, it was really like sobering. I wish, I almost wish there was a video of it because by the end of it, all of us were like, oh, okay. So this is why all TV kind of feels the same. But he figured out how to take the convention. And oh my God, yeah. Do do the whole thing with it. When when did you feel like you started getting typecast as the, the girlfriend in the rom-com or worried about getting those kind of roles you're just getting for like two, three years. Well, uh, you know what I realized or is- Or the bitch, the school life bitch. That's what Jewish women get. They're the friend or they're the cunty girlfriend. And yeah. I, you know, I know Jews run Hollywood <laughs> supposedly, <laughs> but they really don't like seeing the their women folk. It's so funny. I like mentioned that to someone once in, in an interview and he goes, uh, Woody Allen. I go- who are his leading women? Name them for me. Yeah. And they're all 17. Mia Farrow, Diane Keaton, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> you know, like, oh, yeah. Uh, not Jewish. No. I mean, then, I love all of those women. I worship But don't them, you but think by the end of this decade now, I feel like that has really flipped. Like, I don't think we would have had a flea bag 15 years ago. Is she Jewish? No, but I'm just saying like different oh, types of yeah, people. yeah, totally. But they're also five, you know, 600 channels. True. Everything, so they can take a bet on diversity. Niche. I mean, Fleabag flea flea is brilliant. I love Fleabag. So good. I, I was actually, I was late to it. And I couldn't believe how few episodes there were. I was like actually kind of yeah, so outraged. easy to watch. It was, the second season was six episodes, like 25 minutes a piece. It was like the Avengers was longer than season two of of Fleabag. It was like, that's it? It's over? And then but she was I like, like, yeah, I'm that. never doing it again, too. No, it was good. It was smart. It left me wanting more, which I don't feel like shows ever happened before. Did you watch Killing Eve? Yes. That first season was incredible. We have people here at The Ringer. They love the killer. The, of course. Jodie Comer. Jodie Comer, yeah. She's unbelievable. Yeah. She had big ringer points last year. Yeah. I mean, Sandro too, but like, yeah, that killer. She's, she's unbelievable. But they said Phoebe might actually be on the show this year for like one episode. Really? Yeah. I thought I read that. So they are doing a season three? For Killing Eve. I think they are. Yeah. What else are you watching? Handmaids. Obvs. Just finished Big Little Lies. Yeah. A lot of staring at the ocean this season. Man, that's so beautiful there. It's great. It's not even, they cheat it. They make it seem like it's Monterey and it's- Malibu. They're filming it in Malibu. Yeah, but but holy shit. I mean, and if you're Meryl Streep, it's like everyone has such high expectations. Yeah. And then they were blown out of the water. She went went even beyond what you could ever imagine. You know why? Because she's Meryl Streep. 
Yeah, she's fucking Meryl Streep. She's by far she the goes, greatest actor of all time. give me some teeth and a wig, and yeah. I'll make you a character you've never seen before. A fucking 70-year-old woman with Asperger's who's a shit stirrer. I th- who's have you ever, meek but aggressive. Have you ever met her? I mean, I think for two seconds once, but no. She's one of those people, like, I wonder what her normal Meryl Streep is. Because oh, somebody so who cool. can become 30 different people... Well, right. A lot of times, like character actors who are always, you know, they, they're, I, I know a couple who are lost people. Yeah. They don't, they're like, who am I? They don't even have their real. But I think she has a very defined self. Does seem like, like she has, she's got this whole normal mom life where like kids and. <laughs> no, her kids are like but 40. No, but I mean, like she had like, she raised a family. Yeah. And, but while was also like, oh, I'm gonna go be Sophie and Sophie's choice. Yeah. I'll be back. Holy fucking shit. I don't know how you do that. I don't know how you switch that switch that uh Wait, did you watch Big Little Lies? Of course. Did, can we talk about it or is it like a spoiler thing? No, fuck the spoiler. The, okay. It already happened. Here's the thing, the one thing that drove me crazy during the court scene, like the second to last one. Yeah. When they're like getting Nicole. When Nicole Kidman, Kidman all of a sudden becomes like Australian? Johnny Cochran. I mean, uh what? <laughs> she was like, <laughs> I I have to believe her backstory is that like one of her parents is Australian. Oh, she let the Australian accent slip. I, I don't know. Yeah. But she is an incredible actor. But the character, like when they're saying like, what? Oh, if, if he was abusive, why didn't you get your kids out of there? Did she forget that the reason why he was beating her up when he died was because she fucking moved out and had her suitcases and bought a house to move in with the boys? Yeah. How did that not come up? Probably should have been mentioned. What about, uh, yeah. What about the part? Why are they all like, let's all make a pact? Why didn't they That he fell down the stairs. How about like he was beating the shit out of our friend and we were trying and to I get him, him off, off her? Yeah. Her. And that was it. I there's, guess because there's literally no crime was committed. No, because then you can't have a season two if they're just like, yeah, let's all just tell them what actually happened. There's, he was committing there's no domestic violence lie. in front of all of us. Yeah. Yeah. But I guess their knee jerk reaction was they lied and then they had to stick to it because they lied. My biggest issue with season two is Reese Witherspoon's character who they just kind of didn't know what to do with. And she, well, the dynamic with her and Meryl Streep was incredible. Right. But, but then it's like, and I love Adam Scott, but you go, why, why, why do they want to be together? Yeah. They hate do each they other. they love each other? I'm no. Like, there's like one moment when she's in the wedding dress where you're like, oh, they like each other. But it's like, now she just has total guilt and she has to go with what he likes. Like, oh, we'll have a big tent. No, it will just be us. Okay. And that's the happy ending. She's got to like contort her joy to his because she fucked a guy. Well, also she it completely betrayed who the season one break up. Yeah, seriously. You guys don't like each other. But in and season also, one, she's this so troublemaker. Rich? How yeah, what does he do all day? But in season one, she's such a troublemaker. And then in season two, she's this meek, ashamed, I'm sorry I hurt our marriage. Well, I think it's, everyone it's, it's a abrupt. team sport and it was too know, abrupt. Not everyone could have an A story and she's producing it and she probably it was like so the key I thought should have been, they should have had her got more involved in the school. Because the school stuff always, I enjoyed that part. Yeah. you do have those psycho parents in school. And you're like, oh, fuck. And I mean, the- Another charity um, thing, settle down. The what's-her-face storyline, Renata, Laura Dern, was great. But like, I wish it went, I wish that had something. Well, I guess it was like, she just left, smashed his shit and left him, but- 
Laura Dern gave me the feeling all season that she read all the Meryl Streep press clippings and was like, she's not, she's not getting the best supporting actress Emmy yet without me saying or doing something about it. And she just like stepped up. <laughs> she ratcheted it up. But uh, yeah, I mean, she's, like, oh she's going to have to come through me this season. <laughs> she was really good. She had that great. I will not not be rich. <laughs> yeah, that but was when good. she was like comforting the housekeeper, I knew that the housekeeper had fucked the husband by at that point. Yeah, that was a nice little wrinkle. We are going to hire you back. It's not goodbye. And I'm like, oh, she, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why do I have this scene then? I like these seven episode, eight episode. Me too. It's like like dating versus like having a real relationship with TV shows where you're just kind of like, you're going out for drinks a couple times with the show and then it's over. I don't like when things just go on forever because I know that there isn't like a beginning, middle and end all thought out for you. Lost. I was just going to say that. Lost was the one that taught us that. Well, season one, great. Season two, great. Season three, they're playing golf and B stories that you're just treading water. They're going backwards. Fuck. Then they know. Then they sign a thing. Three more seasons and they map it out. Yeah. And it's incredible. But now I think most people do that now. We've seen people who they know within the first two seasons, like, here's my exit plan. Yeah. Because they don't want to be on for 12. That was the mentality, though, like when we were growing up, is you just try to keep your show on for as long as you could. Yeah. Get rid of a character, bring another character in. Grey's Anatomy, I guess, is like that now. That show's been around for like 17 seasons. crazy. Do you watch The Bachelor? Are you into that whole scene or no? I love it. But a couple years ago, my dog developed a sound sensitivity to the... (laughs) This sounds so crazy, but I'm not kidding. I'm so triggered by it now for her because when when someone swears and it goes beep it gives her like a like a fucking serious like an epileptic seizure like she goes what fucking bananas this is like kramer mary hart and i can't yes and it i can't soothe her like it's there's it's it sucks so it's like all my favorite shows i haven't been able to watch unless i'm in new york and then i try to catch up on all of them or i like will listen to a um podcast of a recap you know so to recap you can't watch the bachelor anymore because the beep gives your dog a seizure yeah and now it makes me mad because i go why do they have to have that big loud assaulting beep and i know it's just because Every time it happens, I get scared that my dog's going to freak out. Right. But why do they, why don't they just drop the audio or have like a cuckoo or like a, a just an easier, That's what less... MTV does. MTV just goes silent on the switch. Yeah. That's what yeah. they do on the E channel in their like Sex in the City reruns. They just drop the audio. Just drop the audio. Those, my wife watches those from time to time. The, the heavily so edited soothing. E Sex in the City. Yeah. It's really a fascinating rewatch for a lot of reasons. It's like, yeah, because it's like the porn without the porn. Yeah. Like you just have the same. It's Kim but, Cattrall just like ready to have sex well, with those somebody. Those storylines then- don't hold up that Kim Cattrall, like, just like, oh, I'm a horny 40 year old. It's just like, oh, God. I actually, I actually think it's kind of bad now. To rewatch those. Yeah, but some it's of the, like, like what, the, what, the, what were we the, thinking? Just the true relationship stuff is just. Is good. I like it. But yeah, I mean, anything now, you just go like, wow, it's so white. You know, anything from five, 10 years True. ago, you're just like, wow. Friends. Wow. Yeah. 
Friends which had like a major renaissance. And they're both New York City stories with all white people. Right. It's just bizarre. The funniest thing with the Friends rerun is clearly somebody gave the note like around season three. And you would just see at the Central Park, there would be like two black characters, but not talking, just in the background. That they're like, hey, did you get those extra black extras? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in this episode. They got an NAACP award for that. Did they 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 got a No. (laughs) Yeah, now, now people, I feel like that's not as nearly as much of an issue as it used to be, no, the diversity it's, thing. Yeah, it seems yeah. people are consciously, look at that now. Like even like Jimmy's writers from that first year, it was all dudes and one female Morgan writer. Morgan Murphy. Yeah. Well, before her, it was Maureen Driscoll and then Morgan Murphy after. Oh, yeah. But yeah. But now I think those days, that's not happening Yeah, anymore. No. What's your first show? What there was were only that, five of us writing. Yeah, or something. So yeah. Comedy Central? Um. Was it 05, 06, 07? Yeah, somewhere six, in there. Maybe. Till and then you've the, done? Till 09, I think. Yeah. So what, what's your plan now going forward? What do you want to do? I know that's an open-ended question. You know, I don't know because I like, well, I'm do, I'm going to do a pilot for, I don't, are we allowed to say like pilots? I don't know. Whatever. I'm going to do a pilot. I don't know. I don't know. No one tells me the rules and then I fucking get in trouble. But Just whatever. don't say gonna, who it's with. Oh yeah, I'm gonna do a pilot that's like a another kind of like political, but like also aggressively stupid. You know, I like that mix. It's important to me, <laughs> and uh, and see, because I, I am into that. But then, uh, then I'll miss acting, and it's funny. I like, you know, it's I took an acting job actually. I'm doing a movie October, November. I'm going to New York for three months. So, September, October, November. September, I'm doing the. We're, we've got our last workshop for the Bedwetter, the musical. Did I tell you about that? No. It's finally happening. It's gonna Broadway. Off Broadway. It's at oh. the Atlantic Theater in New York. Nice. And you know they started. Spring Awakening started there. Are you in it or is somebody no, else in not it? No, I So you it. hired somebody to be you. No, no. It's it's. It's <laughs> it's me the year I'm 10. Oh. So it's all kids, uh, but it's like rated R. And uh Oh my God, that sounds like in my degenerate son's wheelhouse. Oh my God. It's I mean, you know, I don't I, I co-wrote it with a I, I co-wrote the book and the lyrics, and Adam Schlesinger wrote all the music. We co-wrote the lyrics and um this great playwright. Josh Harmon. And um, it's been seven years. Like it will be, have been seven years. It's such a slow, it moves so fucking slow theater, but that's just how it is. It's so many schedules and so much to coordinate. So finally we go into previews at the Atlantic in, in April. But um, so we have our last workshop in September. Um, we're still doing some rewrites and stuff. And then um, I do this movie for a couple months and um this movie with leo and matt damon no it's some no movie I'm it's, doing. it's you know i'm i'm kind of playing the friend but it's in new york and it seems really fun so i just figured fuck it i'm making like quality of life choices where it's like i'd love yeah. to be in new york for the autumn you know and then um are you like adam sandler when he starts like Doing entire movies in Hawaii. Hawaii. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I go, I don't know. I mean, I love that he does this that. This isn't like, I've always wanted to go to Wyoming. Let's make one there. 
At the Yellowstone. You know, the stars, I heard the stars are both like on time and delightful. And, uh, you know, so it seems like it'll be fun. And then um, I'm going back, coming back here and do that pilot, I guess. And then go back for rehearsals and for the play. Do you know what the biggest show is right now for my son's 11? You would like my son. He's like legitimately funny, but. Eric Andre. Nope. Big Mouth. Oh, right. Wow, that's so exciting. Big Mouth is like a massive show. Yes. And it's either you watch it or you're not allowed to watch it, but you watch it anyway. What it's, a great show for kids to to sneak and watch. Uh, it's he saw them. all of them and we didn't even know he was watching it and he wasn't telling us. Because it's great comedy and it's kind of, there's some beauty in it. Like it's, you know, have you seen Pen15? So they didn't like that one. I was surprised. I, Kyle likes everyone that one. kept telling me to watch it, and it, which always makes me not want to watch stuff, but I kind of happened upon it, and it's it's so fucking My good. daughter had an interesting reaction to that. She didn't like that they were grown, older than the age. I wonder if it's for our age. I think it's for adults. Because it's like, oh, God. Yeah, it's it's so brilliant. Like I'm, It's pretty wild. It's funny. They were talking about the birds and the bees with my son's class near the end of fifth grade, and- he was like, he was like, they told us we could ask a question. So I'm going to ask a question. And I, and I was like, first of all, like knowing my son, I'm like, oh no. All right. Can you tell me what the question is? And he's like, yeah, I want to ask, how do you clean up a wet dream? And I was like, definitely don't ask that. Why not? And he's like, why not? It was on Big Mouth. And, uh-huh. and then I was like, no, can't you ask something else? And he's like, I already know everything. I've seen every episode of Big Mouth. I know everything there is to know about puberty. I was like, Nick Kroll has an insane amount of power right now over probably, kids 10 to 15. I think that's probably a much better way to learn about puberty than, Through Nick Kroll? than how other kids might. Yeah. Right? I guess it is better than like learning about it by Googling boobs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just seeing what comes I up. I was thinking about Ace. Go his joke about uh, uh my dad used to just have to try to see a boob in a cloud. <laughs> <laughs> Do you see him when you're doing stand up? I see him all the time. He's like really into the stand up comedy thing. We're talking yeah, about Adam Carolla. We see we see I see him and you know we're so different, but I, I like to think we we really love each other, you know. But boy, he was on stage at the improv a couple months ago and He's so brilliant, but in many ways he is stuck in a moment. Yeah. I'm sitting next to this young black comedian and and he's just doing race stuff that is not uh whatever, but it, it you know, he's trying stuff just like we're saying, you know, but I I turn to the kid I go you know, he's from another time. You know, like I'm right. trying to like make excuses. Like, what are you making excuses for him? I like, go, I'm not, but it's just the truth. You know, he's doing the best he can with what he's been given. And he's he's got a lot of talent. You know, he's he's like he has many gifts, but he is there. Well, are he some was always I a 55-year-old man. Yeah. But now he actually is a 55-year-old man. But before he was a 35-year-old man who was a 55-year-old man. I think it's really good that he's doing a lot of stand-up because I think when he just does his podcast, which just has is massive and he's got followers that, you know, what he says is God, and he's just doing it from this, you know, castle up on a hill, it's 
easy to get out of with touch. His head tilted back with his eyes rolling back. Yeah. I know. I remember like Mike Goggins would be like, come do his show. I go, why would I drive all the way to Glendale to, to watch Adam talk? <laughs> I can do that from my own home. He's still doing but it I in do case love you haven't him. seen him well. Yeah. I was just interested He's in the relationship between the two of you. I always thought it was funny. Because you yeah. had the common ground of just pure love of things that are funny. Well, listen, but you were approaching you know, it from completely different ways. Yeah, we we don't agree on lots of things, but it, I love him to pieces, you know. And and I'm always amazed that he loves me, you know. I, I'm always that that to me that always if I find that moving. But you know, that's the thing is like when you're comics, you're kind of all together. Like you might be wildly different, but we're all like an island of misfit toys. So I don't like comic on comic crime. God, I hope what I just said about Adam wasn't no bad. I love no. him so much. No, I, Adam, I, I wish I articulated it in a, maybe in a more loving way, but listen, there's but like, no I don't way like comic on comic crime. I just, I don't get, I don't like that stuff. It doesn't happen that often, but you when know, it like does when happen. You are on Twitter and you're like, Ooh, I should weigh in on this. And then you go, Wait a minute! I don't have to, <laughs> like you know, like that, like mo that moment where you're like, you don't have to weigh in on every fucking thing. Hey, you love to cook. You're not in the mood to do the dishes tonight. Well, watch your favorite show with your favorite people instead. Get it delivered with DoorDash. They connect you with your favorite restaurants, and your city ordering is easy. Use the DoorDash app. Choose what you want to eat, and a dash will bring it to you anywhere you are. Not only is that burger place you love on DoorDash already, or in LA's case, John and Vinny's. The best. Over 310,000 other amazing restaurants. Our DoorDash connects you with door-to-door -door delivery in over 3,300 cities, all 50 states and Canada. Order from your local go-tos, like John and Vinny's, or choose from your favorite chains like Chipotle, Wendy's, Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. Wendy's. And the Cheesecake Factor. Don't worry about dinner. Let dinner come to you with DoorDash. Right now, my listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code BILL. $5 off your first order. Download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code BILL. Do it now. You've had, you've increased your Instagram activity and you did some weird, weird uh, strike against them or whatever. What was, can you explain what happened? You didn't like oh, the how, nipple thing? The nipple thing. Or it wasn't a I strike, just, it was a protest. Well, it was nothing. I mean, what do they care? They're, they don't need me. But it was, um, no. I, no, I wouldn't have called any of that. It was like, to me, funny, but it's also just absurd. No, it seemed like, like you were mad. It seemed like I was mad? Yeah. How? I don't know. It seemed like it was half funny, but you were half aggrieved. No, no. I. It was such a game to me because, well, I posted a picture that was like just of my cabinet, like my bathroom cabinet. But yeah. if you look close, you can see like my boobs. <laughs> They're like in the reflection of the <laughs> right. mirror. And what do I care, you know? Yeah. So um, I posted it, and then they took it down for obscenity. Meanwhile, if you fucking have, like, two big fake tan tits, like, greased up with, like, with the nipple smashed down with suspenders where you're just covering the nipple, that's fine. As long as it, you can jerk, as if it's something you can jerk off to, fine. But if it shows, like, the you part take that two acorn nourishes shells your life, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, what what is it about a woman's nipple, men have nipples too. Then I was doing like pictures of, of guys' boobs, but close up where you can't tell if it's a man or a woman, you know, but if it, then it, I widen out, it's a man, then they keep it. Then I go in close, you can't tell, you know, like 
there was one they took off and then I widened out. I go, that was a dude, you fucking idiot. You know, whatever. <laughs> but it's just like men have boobs and nipples, a sometimes full on breasts yeah. and nipples. It's bizarre that one is seen as obscene and one is, isn't. But one can be wildly sexualized as long as you don't show that one tiny part that feeds babies. I mean, you don't think that's bizarre? I think it was funny that you were challenging a company that can't do anything right anyway. This is like the least of the things that they're screwing I mean, up these days. Yeah, it's fucking absurd. Facebook. But yeah, well, I mean, yeah, listen, did you, yeah. Facebook is so complicit in what's wrong with this country and the direction it's going in the end of democracy. I can't stand Facebook and I especially can't stand how they do the whole throw the hands up thing. Ah, we didn't know. No, they, they, what they, sorry guys. What it is, is they love money. Yeah. And they're wealth addicts. Like everyone, like the, the, <clears throat> the leaders of the world all the, you know, and the most influential people in the world that who can buy policy because that's, it's legal to buy policy. Um, they're making choices on behalf of the rest of us based on complete unexamined lives. Yeah. They, these are people that are so damaged and have not looked at their lives at all and it's why they're successful they're filling this unfillable hole that's made them the walton family or yeah. jeff bezos or you know donald trump or whatever they're filling an unfillable hole that that um gives them an immense amount of whatever is sick monetary success and therefore power and then they make decisions for the masses that are based on daddy issues it's really, really crazy. And really, th the fact that we take democracy for granted, whatever, you don't want to hear about this on the Bill Simmons podcast, but. No, because you care about it. I want to hear about anything you care about. I mean, we have basically. D democracy's We have 15 over. more months We're here. in the denouement of we have 15, democracy. <laughs> 15 months here to figure out something. Yeah, so, I'm hopeful, but I'm not wildly hopeful. I'd, I'd be so happy. It seemed like if, you were more hopeful like three years ago with some of the stuff. Weren't we doing. all? Yeah. But now you I seem try to stay. Down. I no. I try to stay hopeful, but what I do is I need to take breaks. Yeah. I remember when my mom was alive, and I'm almost glad she didn't see this. Like she died thinking like Bernie was going to be president, but um, or or Hillary. Yeah. And um. But she would just watch M MSNBC all day, all night, and all day, and like go fucking bananas. And I would say to her like, Mom. Sometimes you got to just watch like a Bones or something. And that's Old where Matt I'm Luck. at. Yeah. So I just like put on Law and Order. I watch, you know, like any kind of procedural, just like, just forget about it, you know, play basketball, do whatever. But I definitely need to take breaks. I look at Twitter and get the news. So that's where I get, you get the news from every single, you can get everything. It's pretty yeah. great. And, uh, but it, I definitely need breaks. I mean, listen, the reality is it's not unlikely that that was a weird way to put that. Trump could very likely be reelected. Uh, he's the heavy favorite. 
It's fucking it's like bananas. Even money. Sal will give you even money lie. right now. It's the it's the farthest reach. It's the it's the it's a the first cyber cult. You know, it because remember watching Going Clear. I assume you watched yeah. Going Clear, and how uh, Paul Haggis goes. This is so embarrassing, but. They told us not to look at anything, any news about Scientology. So we didn't. Yeah. And that's what Trump is doing. He said, don't believe your eyes and ears. Don't listen to the news. Only get your news from my Twitter feed. And millions of people are doing just that. They're either it's just Fox News or him and they're lying to them. And that's why I have compassion for them. They're they're being lied to. They're they're you know, some of them are just fully racist and so excited but well, some are just fucking we always people. Had those people the uh when in 2016 after hillary lost people were blaming like the bubbles and the celebrities names like yours was getting thrown around like well pete the the right resented the left and the celebrity culture and the bubbles that was the first time i'd ever really thought about the concept of bubbles and yeah that we're here and people think a certain way and if you're in new york or Brooklyn or whatever, but then if you're in like freaking Alabama, well, they just made nothing abortion illegal anybody. there. Right? So, I mean, it's like a whole other world. But it's I don't They're know why in a I'd bubble never, too. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's not. but I never really thought about the well, the, the country as all these different bubbles. The, the hypocrisy is that Trump is a celebrity. Yeah, he's he's a reality show host. Would. And a and a snake oil salesman. I mean, he's always been like Trump steaks, Trump college, Trump, you know, water. I watched every episode of Apprentice, by the way. I loved that show. I did too. I was really genuinely excited when Corolla was on. And he was oh with like God. Arsenio Hall and all this. So good. <laughs> but I remember the one first glimmer of like Trump you know, like of was like I remember when Gilbert Gottfried was on and they had their first meeting outside of Trump Tower and yeah. everyone was freezing and Gilbert goes, Can we do this meeting inside? <laughs> and then Trump goes, It's cold, right? Oh wow, I guess there isn't global warming. Like he said something about global warming that was being the a first hoax hint for on you? the Yeah, I was like, What the fuck? Yeah. Just host this show, dummy. Was that that Gilbert Gottfried, the famous roast. Yeah. Was that the single most memorable moment of comedy you've been in the room for? Or was it something or is probably. something else the answer? Well, probably. I mean Like where you knew something substantial had happened even in the moment? Yeah. Oh, it was crazy. And then like uh I mean it, it they I really didn't want to come out for it because it was October. Yeah. 2001. We didn't it was know. Right after 9 11. Didn't know how to do comedy. Not only that, I was scared to fly. Oh, I didn't even think. Yeah. I didn't want to fl fly. And then they, so they said, we'll, we'll pay it for you to bring a friend. So Liz Winstead came with me. And oh, that's the story that I, I just heard about later, but where um, Jimmy and Adam, maybe, or whoever Jimmy flew with for the roast, he was so worried and like, let's take a look and see who we can. We can, I could take this guy if I need to, oh, you know, like plane? boarding the plane. And then uh, he fell asleep before they took off and didn't wake <laughs> up until they landed. <laughs> I think that's the, how that story goes. But I didn't, I met Jimmy that I, that was the first time I met Jimmy. Um, 
And God, I remember Rob Schneider started not doing well. And Jeff Rost ran up and goes, hasn't there been enough bombing in New York? It was just like, it was pretty epic night because it also was just this massive release. And then for Gilbert to close with that, like, you know, what did he say? Like, I my flight home has a layover in the Tower 2 or something like yeah. that or whatever. Like, it was crazy. And nobody knew what to do. It was like everything was too soon, like in the most glorious way. and. Uh, What's who who what comedian that you've seen just do stand up has killed in like the biggest way that you can remember? Like if we we're saying like if I'm talking about basketball, I'd be like who's the best basketball player you ever saw or best game you ever saw or something like that. And I asked like Kevin Durant that he would be like, well, Oh, this time, blah, blah, blah. It's funny. The who's two that for names a comedian? that come in my mind are Louis C.K. and yeah. Tig Notaro. Really? Yeah. Funny because that's all we'll say about that. Because they eventually clashed. Is that why it's on? Trying to piece it together. I, I I'm just okay. saying that's those are the two names that come to mind of of people who murder, 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 murder with any crowd. Do you like the whole Netflix of vacation of these comedy specials and, and the and oh, what they've done for? I don't know. I can't tell yet. Because it's funny how it goes in waves, right? We had like that whole era in the mid '90s where it was like you got a half hour on HBO, the MTV half hour comedy, yeah, or whatever it was, hosted by Mario Joyner. And then it would be like, yeah, maybe you'd get an hour HBO, then devoted resources and time to it, and you get like an HBO special was like the big thing. And now it seems like the Netflix special is the big thing. Yeah, like they've just well, they have that corner. They have a lot of money, and they love comedy over there. They must have offered you money. Mm-hmm. When was the last special you did? Um, two years ago, maybe three years ago. What's the process? Like nine months? Six I know I don't do it like that. There was ten years between my first and second special. There were probably two or three other specials in there that just like came and went. I never think about it. I just like you just get an hour. I just and you're do stand up, and then eventually someone's like, "Do you want to do a special?" And I go, "Oh, yeah, I guess I have a spec." I don't know. I never think about it. It's really dumb, really. I it's that not, you don't think about it. Yeah, I just don't. I don't know. I, I yeah. I mean, right now I've got like, I was surprised. I thought I had like twenty minutes that I loved, but then I did forty five minutes the other night. I was like, I felt good, you know. But I'm not like racing to do a special, and I'm about to stop doing stand up for three months. And then I'll just be starting over all over again. So if you stop, is that like stopping like, playing golf or something where exactly, you can't even like, go back out it's there? It's like stopping work. Like if you don't work out for three months, you're like, I'm a big, I'm a fucking fat piece of shit. And it's hard to even get your sneakers on to, to do it. Yeah. Because you have to start over. But you just have to. You have to put, just put your sneakers on. Don't think about it. I always think about, I always say what Adam's, Adam Carolla said once which about working out. I was just like, just get your sweat on. Don't put a whole thing on it. Right. Just get your sweat on. It's so funny how much it's like writing is so much like that, where it's like you have to keep doing it to be good at it. Yeah. I mean, and once you get knocked out of it, it's so hard to do. The great thing about just having like a million things on a million burners and like whatever comes to fruition, great, you know. But like, is that you're writing all the time, you know? And that I remember the one of the 
when I was dating Jimmy, he said, I, I couldn't believe it. He goes, I'll never have writer's block. And I just thought, like, how could you even say that, like, in front of the gods, you know? Right. Like, and he goes, You're no, like because I write every day. It's true. And it's 100% true. He's in that mode. Yeah. When you're just like, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm going to go over here. If you write I got every this. day, there's unlimited things to write about. There's not, you know. Hmm. Um. All right. I think we hit everything. Anything else you want to hit? Oh, my God. I feel like I was so, like, preachy and annoying. I don't feel like, do you feel that way, Kyle? I had a great time. You did? I did. This is what, what, was like. your, what were your favorite parts? This is what parts? it's like to hang out with you. Do you have any questions? It is? I don't and know. I really, because I go, th I get into a mode where I feel like I know everything, but I don't. I never, the only thing I didn't ask you was what it's like to be a celebrity. It's amazing. No, I'm not oh, finished. What? Sorry. <laughs> so you're celebrity pre-internet and then celebrity during the early internet and then in the internet, but now in the social media era. And like where everybody's a celebrity and a brand to some degree and you're trying to connect with your fans and figure out a way to kind of stay in people's lives. How do you, like you're on Instagram, you're doing tweets. Like, how do you think about all of that in the, in the way you're doing your like career? I don't run like a business. Like people, like, I don't think like, well, I should put a tweet out or I haven't Instagrammed or whatever. But I usually like to post something like from Bass, you know, and Instagram is more just like, basketball you use instagram like i do where it's like here's a weird picture of my dog yeah i mean yeah I do, i'm not a business person so no. i it's not like i i never think about it in that way and yeah like you're right it's like everyone's a celebrity everybody's on, so i can see how it would get very frustrated to try to you know like get be seen or feel relevant but like in a way maybe that's good because it forces you to go, nothing matters. We're probably fucking brains in jars. Just ha have a good life. Yeah, like whatever that years. looks like. Like I'm so lucky I get to do what, I get to pretty much do anything I want to do at all times. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I, this is a good life. I can't believe how long I've, it, it's kept going. Like I had a boyfriend who, when we broke up said, oh, good luck. I'm sure. I'm sure America can't wait to see Sarah Silverman at 40. And uh, that's an actual <sighs> quote. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Like, and that is such a, oh, it's just so mean, you know, but um, shit's worked out. You know, I don't know. I'm not really, I'm not drowning. You know, I'm not like trying to stay irrelevant. I just kind of do my own thing. And there always seems to be someone into it I don't know you love dogs it's very important for the Instagram feed because you have had two dogs now yeah that have really strange lovable faces oh my god that Mary. you have to capture in the right right way somehow you recreated the first dog I don't know how you did that it was like you genetically engineered it it's so weird because I was like this dog doesn't is nothing like duck and then like slowly I was like, oh, I just like got another small black dog. You became But to me, she's so different. <laughs> why why is she different? They look the same. She's like skinny with like long legs <laughs> and she's got a weird underbite and she, her personality is completely different. But they both were very cat-like. They both licked their paws and wiped their eyes. Well, and, like, the one thing super I've... Cool. neither of them ever bark. 
I forgot to ask you, the political climate changed, obviously, in not a great way. But things <laughs> swung your way with the legalization of marijuana. I mean. Unbelievable. It's yeah. all coming up Sarah Silverman at the end of the decade on that front. It you can buy it anywhere. I we can go buy so it right now. I have so much pot. People give me so much <laughs> pot. I have a pantry that's half pot. Like, I just don't. If you ever want pot, please. Just come to your house. Just, yeah, I'll just give it to you. you. You can do it. You can take gummy bears on airplanes. It's all stuff. It's you were, incredible. You were ahead of your time in a lot of these respects. Yeah, and you I You were making brownies for cross-country flights and. God, the remember 2000s? when we went to Italy? Yeah. I made this this pot chocolate. It yeah, was you, like my wife was Nutella. in a coma for like two days. Oh my God. I made basically brownie, like weed brownies, but in just Nutella. Is that how you say it? Nutella. Nutella. And then poured it back in there. And we would just take just like a quarter of a spoonful of Nutella and you're flying for seven hours. Because you were like so MacGyver good. with how to get had to get stuff I was across. not going to Europe pot without weed. You were doing, what else were you doing? You were doing cookies, you were doing brand, you were doing all that stuff. It did what need to, it you needed did, to be done. Yeah, you did the job. But now it's like, you can just yeah. get it anywhere. It's interesting because it's legal and it's like you go, oh, there's a lot of opportunity. It's like knowing about Apple before Apple, like truly. But the gross thing about it is that there's still all this red tape around it. Yeah. You know, because it's not federal. And and it's all because the pharma and tobacco and the alcohol companies, all those big three, have so much influence on the legislators. And still, until they get a stronghold on that fucking weed money, they're going to make it hard for other people. You know, we have so many devices now, all these different types of one hitters. Oh, it's incredible. It's really the glory age. This is, this is it. Mm -hmm. This is the peak. Look at how happy. This is the happiest he's ever been during the podcast. And then they changed it. Uh, What? What do you mean? They used to be able to buy weed in jars and it was like, uh, not, not anymore. What do you mean? Like it used to be like, you got, you have like a bud tender and then they pick the stuff out. Like, you know, three and a half grams. Okay. There's five grams. Now it's, it's gotta be like. It's got to be pre-sealed. There was like a proposition that passed like a year ago. Huh. Maybe you this have so is a good podcast. This will be your podcast if you ever do one. Pot corner. Mm, probably not. Just just banging out. Do you imbibe in any way? Um, I not as much as I used to. Weed? Yeah. I don't remember you ever smoking weed. Well, when I say used to, like the nineties, I think were my heyday. Oh. Then, then Jimmy Show the first year, you know that was like. You, Mike Tyson, he, the week he brought yeah. the meta, me, medicinal his, marijuana, like, I didn't even know what that was. And Mike the whole Tyson's staff was guy, in coma. Mr. Black or something. And yeah. he's like, uh, if Mike offers you weed, smoke it or he'll be offended. Right. And you're like, all right. right. <laughs> he had that weed and it completely fucked up our entire show for the whole week. Because <laughs> it was like, it was the weed they give to cancer patients when they're dying and that he somehow got. And we'd have the writers meeting the next day and everybody was like, you know, half comatose. So yeah, now it's come all the way around. Now now we have bud tenders and- Oh my God, I buy it for my parents. My stepmother loves it at night. She eats an edible, goes to bed. She doesn't take sleeping pills anymore. I actually try try to get my wife to take it every day in some form because I like her more when she's got a little- got a little edge off. You could have just like three milligrams. I mean, it's just like you can microdose it. Yeah. I've noticed- so my my kids went to uh, the Queen concert, mm-hmm. and my 
my son, who I'm, I am a little worried about with all this stuff, but he was like, he somehow knows the smell of weed and can identify it and was like, yeah, these people were smoking and it's getting a contact high. And I'm How like, old oh, is man. He? He's 11. Oh. Yeah. He's. We went to Amigos concert. He knew all about it. Yeah. He went to Amigos concert. That was another one. Yeah. I'm a little worried about him. Um, this was fun. I'm glad we finally did this. Yeah. Oh, shout out to Amy's V, by the way. Zv. Because she, she could have blocked us single-handedly. She could have. Yeah. She's the gatekeeper. She is. She's my everything. You always have had a small team. Yeah. You have like a small, small loyal crew and nobody else. I mean. That's how you roll. I, every day I'm like, I can't even believe how lucky I am. I have Amy's V. People complain about their managers all the time or this. She's fucking. I'm so lucky. Can you give me, before we go, your number one Jeff Ross story ever that you can tell on a podcast? Hmm. <laughs> She's made a face. <laughs> um, no, I don't know. I mean, you know, I love him. Come on. That's it? He's like your brother. He is. Uh, I mean, he's literally like your brother. I mean, we've done yoga in my apartment before. Where you had like, Jeff Ross doing yoga? Yeah, he loves doing yoga. What? Frozen yoga. No, he does he does love yoga. He he you know, he does he he's very lenient with himself, but uh on the on the yoga side? Yeah. <laughs> but uh you know, like we went to a class once and I look over and he's just like sitting on his mat and the instructor came over and he's like, No, no, I'm I'm resting. You know, I mean he's just like, you know, but Good for him for being there and doing some of it, you know. The roast master. The roast master general. He does have some of the best jokes. Oh my god, I He's, love that one about uh, I dated a, I dated a porn star. I she said what? I said when do you want to go out? She goes, well, I'm working Tuesday and Wednesday. How about Thursday? I said, how about Monday? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love, he's one of the funniest persons, people I've oh ever met. Oh my God. Watching and I still him feel like roast is insane. Because I do feel like comedy has reached this point where some of the people that are doing stand-up, it's like this intellectual stand-up, but they're not actually funny people. Totally. But the, well, the my writing favorite is comedy funny. is, yeah, I mean, it's like, I, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would be my favorite. Like, I don't know if I wasn't me, if I would be a fan of me. I love like Jeff You're Ross a blend of the and, middle though. Huh? You're a blend of the middle. Yeah, like, yeah. But there's certain people like Jeff Ross. I think Corolla when he's on is like that where they're just fucking funny. They could, you just throw them in any situation. Todd Glass. They have to start making fun of the people around them. It's just innate. Jeff Ross is like that. Oh, like, he yeah. can't help himself. He's always like, yeah, if you're on a plane with him, like he'll be he'll the, start making, the whole talking to the flight attendant, the guy next to him. It's so good. Yeah. Did you work with, did you overlap with Chris Farley or no? Yeah. Because they always said Chris Farley was just like the fun, naturally funniest guy. No? Yes. And, and, but also sweet, you know, and appreciative. Like, I remember just sitting, we were both early for a rehearsal on a Thursday. And he goes, can you believe it? We're sitting on the stage, 8-H. You know, where Belushi was. And, you know, I mean, yeah, he was already was there genuine. for three years and a star. Right. But, uh, and I remember once there's like, they used to do a retreat before the season would start in like Mohonk, I think it was yeah. called, is it? And 
there's like a bonfire, people sitting around. And I remember just overhearing Chris sat down next to Lauren and he goes, Lauren, would it help the show if I got even fatter? And Lauren goes, no, Chris, we want you to be healthy. <laughs> I just thought, wow. I, like it's like when you catch a sound bite like that. Are you, what you, when you see Lauren, what happens? I love seeing Lauren. It's funny because I think, you know, it was really when I was there, I was a kid. I was terrified. Yeah. I was, you know, I, I I don't know. Looking back, it's amazing that he saw anything in me. Yeah. Like I was 22. I don't What was I? I wasn't me yet, you know. And. Uh, but, you know, years pass and it's like I get so tickled to see him. He's He tells the best stories. He's such a character, you know, I mean, just like the things you hear about, like. One year when Tracy Morgan said something on stage that got him into trouble and yeah. that 30 Rock, you know, put out a statement like apologizing. And and I heard this is hearsay. I mean, it is, but I heard that Lauren w said to them, like, why did you apologize? It's a summer problem, meaning like it's the summer right now. By the time the fall comes and the show's on no, in a million years, no one will remember this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just like he's such an old pro, you know. Yeah, I wonder how long he does that because now he's like officially, I think he's like 72, 73, something like that. Yeah. But it seems I mean, like they're going to have to carry him out. The show is so vital. Yeah. yeah. But like he does it though. The, the show like it grows, it changes, it morphs. And it's just like no other show gets, does that. It's like still relevant that many years later. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. The ratings are as good as they've been. I mean, I have no yeah, idea. Yeah, this the coming year, election years, it's insane. My only, my biggest criticism is like when we're having like these democratic debates now, I feel like they need to be involved. And I know it means like getting people to come back and all that, but I do feel no, like- No, I know. All, all you do is go like, you know- You want the SNL take on the debate. I said Kate McKinnon as Marianne Williamson, but then somebody said Kristen Wiig and it's like, oh my God, right. right. Kristen Wiig comes back and is Marianne Williamson- Camel Harris will be interesting. I wonder how they'll handle that because I think yeah, she's going to be involved. She'll go all the way. You know, and then go. Biden, you can. Well, that's Jason Sudeikis, right? But he's kind of become an SNL character because he's forgetting things and screwing. I don't like, understand they can do why Ford this thing. is like the 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 guy that everyone thinks is the only one that can get elected. Like this is his fourth time running for president. He's never been elected. I don't get. I don't mean to shit on him. I mean, whoever it is, I'll be thrilled to support but it's just i don't i don't think he's the guy anyone who thinks they can predict who the person the right person is is out of their mind no one would have thought we would elect a black guy with the middle name hussein for eight years in a row right no one would have predicted that but no one would have pre predicted trump no in a million years i like was saying trump the whole no i wasn't nobody was no at this point he had one percent trump the weekend before the election was like five to one underdog. I know. Well, that's also why I don't really even trust polls, you know. You know, Sal and I, we parlayed the Patriots to win the AFC East with Hillary Clinton to win the election. And we mm. could have hedged with Trump, but we decided not to, to try to Oh cover my God, the people must have made so much money betting on Trump. Because <laughs> everyone was lying in the polls. Yeah, yeah, well, um, that's in England, they call that, or in Britain, they call it shy Tories, you know, where they, they act like they're not, and then they vote Tory in the booth. 
Sarah, this was a pleasure. Yeah, come on. How many Thanks times are we going to wrap on. this up? This is it. Final one. Bye.